listening to Something Real with Pastor Rich Zeiger, connecting the reality of God to the realities of life. Today we are kind of finishing up in Luke chapter 5, and it serves as kind of a bridge between what Jesus was doing last time uh, in these three instances of healing and what he's doing moving forward and how not only the Pharisees, but everybody needs to get on board with that. Today we pick up in the latter portion of Luke 5 where Jesus has just explained to his critics that he had come to call sick sinners, not righteous, healthy people, to repentance. He has just done the unthinkable to rescue the irredeemable in the earlier part of the chapter with some amazing interactions that reach into the lives of outcasts and wretches, namely a leper, a paralyzed person, and a tax collector. He touches the untouchable, fixes the unfixable, and reaches the unreachable. Now, beginning in verse 33, his critics shift the focus a bit, moving from the company Jesus is keeping to the lifestyle Jesus is living. They contrast the behavior of Christ's followers with that of the followers of John and the Pharisees, noting that the latter fast and live very disciplined lives, while the former live freely rather than being serious and strict. It is noteworthy that both John and the Pharisees, while quite different in many ways, were deeply concerned with the holiness and purity of God's people. Both sought revival for Israel. It's also worth noting that both had Old Testament ministries, though we read of them in the New Testament. The Pharisees in particular rooted their ministry and philosophy in the Old Testament law, even adding various traditions and and regulations in hopes of making Israel holy and worthy of her Lord. John understood his role as the forerunner of Messiah, and in this role, he called Israel to repent and prepare their hearts for the one who would come. Both John and the Pharisees had their feet in the Old Testament, but the Pharisees used it as a foothold to cling to, whereas John made it his foundation to build on, as a strong launch pad for the coming one. Jesus, however, was the coming one. Therefore, he responds to these critics with a rather gentle and matter-of-fact explanation in verse 34, essentially saying that there's a time for fasting and a time for feasting. Implying that he is the bridegroom, he asks, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? His allusion is to their ancient Jewish tradition of a week-long wedding celebration hosted by the bridegroom. He seems to be saying, save the fasting for funerals. And that time will come, as he prophesies a time when the bridegroom will be taken from them, thereby prophesying his own death. In this scene, Jesus is unquestionably claiming to be the coming one, the Messiah. The Lord then goes on to tell them a two-pronged parable that gently raises the curtain on his ministry and the nature of the gospel. In Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19, God speaks through the prophet saying, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Here in Luke 5, Jesus is saying something very similar. He uses the metaphors of patching a garment and storing wine in a wineskin. In both cases, mixing the old with the new is disastrous. Taking a piece of a new garment to patch an old one only ruins both. 
new wine is still changing and fermenting. So putting it in an old wineskin, which had become brittle and rigid, will burst the container and waste the wine. When these things are mixed, bad things happen. Jesus is telling them that the new work God was doing would not be contained within the old way of doing things. While Jesus could have been referring to their religious traditions and expectations, and to some degree I'm sure he was, I believe he is here referring to the entire Old Covenant, which existed, according to Paul's letters in the book of Hebrews, to point forward to Christ's gospel and to instruct us about who God is. Now Christ is here, bringing this new thing that God is doing. And he explains to them that they will need to let go of the former things to receive it. Verse 39 can seem incongruent to the metaphor if we aren't careful. Jesus here is not saying that the old is better, but that those who have enjoyed the old, which is fully developed, will not be inclined toward the new, which is yet beginning, even though it's not yet known what the new will be when it develops fully. We tend to resist change, even change for the better. Jesus is not condemning them for this here. It's more of a helpful warning against hard-heartedness. Unfortunately, they will continue to cling to the old and reject the new thing God is doing, the very thing that would bring them real life if they accepted it. May you and I not cling so tightly to the past, to our background, to our preconceived notions of morality, that we miss the new life-giving thing that God is doing right now by the amazing grace he gives us in Christ and the Holy Spirit he gives to every follower of Christ. Thanks for listening, and I hope this has given you something to think about.